Welcome everyone to Milwaukee Mennonite. So glad you're here together. It's good to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's begin by taking a few moments of silent prayer to acknowledge God's presence, to hand God our current thoughts and feelings, whatever that is, and to open ourselves to the Spirit. And then I'll close with spoken prayer. Let's pray. Holy and faithful God, we thank you for meeting us again and again and reminding us of your love and your faithfulness. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to your spirit. Amen. So we are in Lent 2. Our first week of Lent was last Sunday. Rachel introduced us to our Lenten theme of Christ Among Us. Our journey toward God leads us on a path, if you can see it here or later when you can stand up. We may stray from time to time, but God is always with us, gently guiding us back. The roundness of the bowl represents God's never-ending love for each person. Today, our second week of Lent, the specific theme, it's on the top of your bulletin, Christ Among Us, Showing Us Faith. Today, we add a cross to the bowl as a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. We hope to grasp God's unending love for us grow in faith, and let go of things that hinder us. By doing this, we gain compassion for ourselves and others who suffer. Would you join me in the call to worship? I'll read the one, and if you would read the many. Come, you who seek God, proclaim God's glory. Come. All who are Come. 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 Come, you who seek God, proclaim God's glory, and walk in faith. 584 in the purple hymnal, Jesus be the center. And a reminder about the roadmap for this song. It goes verse 1, verse 2, refrain, verse 3, refrain, and then uh, verse 4, and the coda. Mm-hmm. 
Sing the journey, number 54. You all have a green book. Anybody else need a green book? We're, we're getting some here. It's also 715. Oh, wait, is it in there? We were wondering why it didn't make it. <laughs> Oh uh-huh. 
We bring before God our real selves, ourselves that are full of mistake and error, uh, but maybe good intentions. So we confess. Let's take a second to read the confession silently, and then we'll read it out loud. Let's read together. Trustworthy God, we want to live with faith, yet we worry there will not be enough. We want to believe in your promises, yet we lose hope. We want to follow you, but sometimes the road is too hard. Shape us into a people who will live in faith. Strengthen us so that we can deny ourselves, take up your cross, and follow you. Amen. Because we need each other to remind each other of God's existence, God's faithfulness, and God's peace. Let's take a moment to pass this peace to each other.
Peace, Juanita. Peace, Lauren. Romans 4, 13 through 15, this is from the message. That famous promise God gave Abraham, that he and his children would possess the earth, was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and God's way, and then simply embracing God and what God does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it those who keep the religious traditions, and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is a father of all of us. He's not our racial father. That's reading the story backward. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life with the word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless, this 100-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what God said. That's why it is said, quote, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right, end quote. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. Second reading is from Mark 8, verses 31 to 38. 
Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I didn't think you'd be back this week. <laughs> of course I'm back. Lori asked if we'd share again. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just figured I'd end up doing this alone. I mean, I don't mean to pull rank or anything, but I'm not sure that's something you can do. <laughs> so you don't believe in me? What? No, I'm just saying you're a puppet. So you're a puppet. What? <laughs> I don't know. I, I needed a snappy comeback, and I panicked. Look, wh why did you think I wouldn't be up here? Uh, did you read the scripture for this week? Yeah. The gospel reading? Yeah. And yet, you had the nerve to show up here today after what you did. What did I do? You messed up big time, my friend. Did I forget something? Was I supposed to come up here Later? That, no. How did I mess up? Well, I guess the Nile ain't just a river in South America. <laughs> it's not. This is worse than I thought. Lenny, what are you talking about? How can someone get things so right and then get them so wrong? Well, that's something people do all the time. <laughs> but what is this about? The scripture today. Yeah. You was in the gospel reading today. I was, yeah, talking to Jesus. Oh, you think I'm the apostle Peter? The story didn't say nothing about no apostle, just Peter. Right, okay, this is a story that's thousands of years old, yeah. So obviously this is a different Peter we're talking about here, not me. Are you sure? Because, I don't know, a couple thousand years looks about right. Very funny, Lenny. But you do bring up a good point about the Apostle Peter. He gets things right. He recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And then as quickly as he nailed it, he totally does a 180 and gets it wrong when Jesus explains what he's, what's going to happen to him. Get behind me, Satan. Now that's a power move. Is it? Isn't it? 
Well, like last week, we talked about Lent being a time to reorient ourselves and turn toward God. Here, Jesus is definitely correcting Peter, a total smackdown. I don't know about that. What? He calls him Satan and tells him, get behind me, you mook. Obviously, it's hard to know the tone in which it was said, but apparently, the way it's written could as easily mean, get in line behind me, as in, remember that you are following me, the Christ. And now I think we're splitting hairs. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, when we step back, it's easy to see how so much of Christians trying to follow Christ ends up with us splitting hairs and missing the big picture. Yes, so... Like Peter, sometimes we get things right, and other times we get things very wrong. Yes, but like Peter, we can acknowledge our mistake and keep following Christ. That seems like a big thought of having faith in God, huh? Recognizing when we make a mistake and trying to keep following? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. How do you do that? How do I recognize? No, no, no. How do you have faith. Well, I mean, really, what you're saying is that you're following something you can't see. Yeah, I mean, I can see what it does in our world, and I, I can see God at work in people and in creation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what I mean. Yeah, how do I believe in God? I mean, that geriatric couple we read about today. What geriatric couple? Abraham and Sarah? Oh, yes, the Romans passage. God says that they're gonna the ancestors to a malt to the nations. Yeah. And how is this gonna come about? Well, you old fogies, you're gonna be pregnant. Right. You read the story from Genesis. Of course I did. But do Abraham and Sarah believe that? They're gonna have a baby? They're all wrinkly and withered. And okay, we get the point. I don't know. I'm just not sure how you have faith, how you believe in something you can't see. That's definitely a big part of the mystery, right? And some days it's easier to believe than others. And some of us struggle with that on our journey more than others. It ain't like a switch, though, is it? No. No, not really. It's something you gotta think about and act on all the time, every stinking day. Yeah? That's exhausting. Maybe, at times, but also it can be really helpful and healthy and even exhilarating, huh? And, uh, that's why you want to share your belief in God with others? Exactly. Which, you know, that can be dicey too. Yes, it can. Many times Christians sharing about God with others has not been helpful or healthy. <laughs> but other times it's transformed lives in really wonderful ways. When we mess up, we can try again. Exactly. Just like trying to follow Christ. Right. Oh, how do you believe? What gives you faith in God? Well, if uh, you ever would like to talk about that, 
share your thoughts on that. I'd genuinely, genuinely love to hear it over coffee or whatever. Yeah, me too. Oh, um, I'd love to hear that with or without Lenny, whichever you prefer. Oh, sure, I see how it is. And if anyone would like to talk with Lenny after the service, I'll have him with me just come up and let me know. You know what I believe? What? I believe Amy is going to make a whole lot more sense than what you just blabbed out. <laughs> I believe that too. <laughs> hey, if I'm letting Lenny, are you a Tratlin' Tita? No. everyone. I am Amy and I am here to reflect on the readings today and also to prove Lenny wrong because I do not think I'm going to make any more sense. Um, I, um, I volunteered last Sunday um, to preach today because these ideas of you know taking up what it means, there's so many things in these, these, these readings that I was like, oh, there's lots of things I could talk about there. This is fine. Um, you know, we'll have a sermon. It'll be great. Yeah. Um, and I wound up finding um, that there were too many things for me to talk about. And also, um, the scriptures were challenging me to think about a lot of things that I do not want to talk about in front of a room of this many people. So um, I have a sermon um, in part. And then um, I'm going to um, kind of try to, um, a lot of my ability to public speak, do any sort of public speaking is predicated on the fact that um, I'm generally allowed to have exactly what I want to say written down in front of me. Um, and as long as I don't you know, veer off of that, I sound really coherent. And um, I don't have a whole sermon here today. <laughs> so um, I'm going to just do my best, and um, it's going to turn into an object lesson pretty soon, so good things. Um, so, the Gospel readings for the Sundays in Lent start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, with his baptism by John, the Spirit descending, and the voice declaring, You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus withstands temptation in the wilderness. Jesus proclaims the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Then we skip a lot. We go from this, these stories of the first days of Jesus' public ministry to um, quite, a, quite a bit later. Um, we breeze past the calling of disciples, the healing of bodies, the casting out of demons, we pass over some perplexing parables about God's kingdom. We pass over debates with authorities, thousands of people fed on seven loaves of bread, and even a little girl being raised from the dead. Although there's still more parables and stories of healing to come in Mark's gospel after what we read today, the time jumps, this time jump lands us in the sense at the beginning of the end, with Jesus' revelation that he would be rejected by the authorities, by authorities and killed. 
Today's reading kind of picks up in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. Um, the first part, actually, Lenny, Lenny and Peter kindly referred to as well. Um, Jesus, the story begins, Jesus is walking um, with his disciples, and he asks his disciples who people say that Jesus is, and then he asks the disciples who they say Jesus is. Peter confesses that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. The text says that Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, which seems sort of an implicit affirmation that Peter is correct, that Jesus does understand himself to be the Messiah. So that's where the reading um, what was read today begins. Jesus reveals that he'll suffer greatly, that he'll be rejected by religious authorities, be killed, and rise on the third day. Peter does not take this well. He starts to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him right back, saying, get behind me, Satan, which you have to admit, seems like a pretty harsh way. I'm with Lenny on this one. It seems like a pretty harsh way to address someone who just confessed that he believed you to be the long-awaited king coming to save your people. This, that this mutual rebuke came so soon after Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah seems significant to me because it seems possible that G Peter felt the need to rebuke Jesus because Jesus was describing things that could not happen to the Messiah. Rejected by religious authorities? No, I mean, Jesus had some disagreements with some of the religious authorities, but clearly the leaders would come around and see in Jesus what Peter sees. Being killed? Not possible. The Messiah would be victorious over occupying forces, forces and go on to reign as king. Rise again in three days, like rise from the dead? What does that even mean? Peter heard these predictions, not only as a friend who didn't want to think of his loved one suffering, but also as a follower who had put his trust in someone who believed that, that someone would lead them to liberation. I suspect that Jesus couldn't square these ideas of Jesus couldn't square this with the idea of Jesus suffering and dying. I wonder if this is what Jesus meant by you're setting your mind on not on divine things, but on human things. That Peter's expectations were based on what he understood to be possible. That, of course, they might face some setbacks and opposition, but Jesus would keep debating and healing and proclaiming the kingdom, and they would prevail. By predicting his execution, Jesus revealed that that, was not, that is not the road that lays ahead of them. Jesus goes on to declare to his disciples and the crowd what it means to follow him. He says, if any would want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who would want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. Removed from the context of the whole story about Peter, predictions, um, this seems like these teaching, uh, teachings on the cost of being a disciple could be seen as sort of an abstract endorsement of a life of suffering. Being willing to give up comfort, safety, the things we desire, and take up our metaphorical cross without complaint. It presents faith that is most purely expressed in persecution and martyrdom. But Jesus said this in a context 
where those who continued following him might soon be given their very own very literal cross. They were approaching a time when the goal of staying alive and the intention of following Jesus wasn't compatible. Those who would be Jesus' disciples would soon need to choose between acting to save their own life or following Jesus and trusting that somehow God would give them life in abundance on the other side of suffering and death. Through the history of the church, there have been those who lived in times and places where following Jesus meant accepting suffering and death. We can read about them in Martyr's Mirror and books about the lives of the saints. We can learn their story. We can learn the stories of our siblings who put their lives on the line in movements for justice and liberation. But these saints are these saints are examples to us, not because they suffered as Jesus suffered, but because they trusted God enough to follow as Jesus led them, even though that meant risking their safety and even laying down their lives. Most people who seek to follow Jesus will never find themselves in circumstances where there is real danger of losing their life for the sake of the gospel. And I'm, by the way, I I think I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, But this idea that to truly follow Jesus means to accept suffering has manifested itself in many ways um, in the history of the church. it can be seen in the, def- the definition of denying oneself as giving up the things that one desires, the things that make one comfortable and safe, even the aspects of one's identity that don't, don't conform to others' image of what a Christian should be. It can be seen in the times when people are encouraged to suffer under unjust systems and in abusive relationships in imitation of how Christ accepted suffering. And as I reflected on this readings, I thought about, um, you know, how other ways that this idea that to follow Christ is bearing one's cross, being able, being willing to lay down one's life, and all of these difficult things, and how that plays out in my own life, and. I got to thinking about how this glorification or this ideal of suffering can be seen in the ways that we seek to be perfect, um, in our failure to forgive ourselves and accept our limitations, just because we can imagine ways that we could have been better, worked harder, been more courageous, been better family members, better neighbors, more faithful followers of Jesus. There's this, and now is where, and I will be, this is where, where I, I prove my point. <laughs> it's hard for me to just stand up here and talk. I have run out of script at this point um, because I ran out of time. <laughs> we desire to be seen by others as people who have things together. We desire to seem like people who are working hard enough 
to follow Jesus and to improve in the way we need to, need to improve. And I wonder if this work towards self-improvement can become not a way that we do the hard thing to imitate Christ's suffering, but a way that we are working to save our own lives. That we expend energy to be, come, to make ourselves the people that we feel like we should be. And that's nothing that has no relationship, I don't think, <laughs> with what this passage is asking. You know, this passage is talking about taking the suffering that comes with following Jesus. You know, to give up the self-protection, the control um, that you need to give up in order to follow where Jesus is telling us to go. But I don't see anything here that's saying that I need to prove myself to be someone who has given enough, who has sacrificed enough, who has laid down my life and put myself last where, everywhere that I can in order to be somebody who is sac who couldn't who is doing something that approximates laying one, down one's life for the gospel. I'm just going to take a minute to collect my thoughts so I don't get off the rails too much here. Alongside this challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples, to be willing to follow Jesus even to death. Jesus also says that those who are heavy laden should come to him. That his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. That in Jesus we'll find rest for our souls. And though we are called to live, li live life in the way that imitates Jesus, the work of transforming ourselves isn't ours. We are made alive in the spirit of Christ, in the spirit of God. And that spirit, the spirit works to transform us, our relationships, um, what we learn from one another, what we learn from those we serve alongside. All of those things play a part in, in making us into the people that God is calling us to be, that God means for us to become. 
and there's and it might be <laughs> that how we give up that what laying down our lives can look like is giving up on the life that we're trying to build for ourselves as somebody who who has it together who is doing everything right who is you know learning who is becoming you know who is um, whatever all of those things that are part of who we wish we were who we want to see ourselves become um, you know, giving up the, the responsibility to make ourselves that and you know, follow where Jesus is leading us. And um, I think I am going to just kind of finish up here because I don't have, I'm not ready to tie everything up in a bow in a nice poetic ending. But you know, this is the kind of the idea that I'm sort of, that's kind of forming in my head right now, and it might be something, you know, we can maybe think about it or talk about it a little more, but, you know, this idea that the work that we are doing right now in the season, you know, in our lives as following Jesus is not about... making ourselves into the people we want to be, but by letting go of, letting go of the control, of control, letting go of self-protection, letting go of striving to make ourselves who we think we should be, and opening ourselves to the transforming work that the Spirit is trying to do in us. So, that's all. Thanks for listening. As we're thinking through those words that Amy left us with, let's turn to 419, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Most merciful God, we wait before you, aware of our frailty, aware of fragility of our world and the peoples of this earth. We wait before you in the midst of weeping and a sinful world. Have mercy, O God, on our world, on our places of violence, on leaders who make war, on people who hope for peace. We wait before you in the midst of betrayal and broken relationships. Have mercy, O God, on our families and all we love, on children and parents, on friends who wound each other, on churches struggling to live in peace. We pray for our friends and families and colleagues and fellow believers. God, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for your spirit here today. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect, just present. God, thank you for showering us with your undeserving love and for drenching us in your peace. Thank you for your faithfulness. May we too be faithful to you. Amen. Number 588, We Walk by Faith.
Would you please stand for the benediction? Just as Abraham did not waver through his unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith by God's promise, may we too give glory to God and be fully persuaded that God has the power to do what God has promised. Thank you to all who contributed to this service. Thank you.